0: It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN.
1: morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors show. Your host, Charlie Potter, here on WGN Radio. Thank you for joining me as we roll into August. I am going to start off this morning talking about something I have a bit in the past, but which is it's going to be like a bad penny. It's going to keep showing up. And it's this whole notion that uh, we have a funding crisis in conservation because of a perception that we are going to lose a large number of individuals who currently hunt and to a lesser extent fish in America. And the fear is that as individuals age out, there are very few people who are replacing them. And so we are gonna end up with a lot fewer people hunting in America And that will lead to a decrease in funding for wildlife management and proficient wildlife agencies. And that it will lead to a uh, serious decline in political influence. Because after all, it is sportsmen and women across America who have been the greatest conservationists uh, going back to the beginning of conservation. So that is, as I've mentioned before, that is the background upon which this program, R3 as it's called, it's inside baseball term, R3 recruit, retain, and reactivate, which all 50 states have embraced, federal governments embraced, and they've embraced it in part because now there's tens of millions of dollars floating around from Pittman-Robertson funds and other sources of revenue to fund this effort to recruit, retain, and reactivate hunters across all 50 states. Uh, <clears throat> my purpose in bringing up this up this morning is not to take a side and say, gee, this is a serious problem and we absolutely have to address it, or to say it's not a problem at all. It's only a problem the bureaucrats <clears throat> who are worried about losing their, their funding resources and, and conservation groups that are worried about losing funding. So what I'd like to do for the next couple minutes is just ask a few questions of, I guess, of ourselves, but it's really aimed at those who came up with this R3 program. And, and we're going to talk about it more and more in the coming years, because as what happens with so many government programs, they start and then they just grow and grow. And then conservation organizations start chasing the money. And the next thing you know, you have this self-fulfilling prophecy uh, that we have a crisis and the only way to solve the crisis is more money. So let's just start with a basic question. And that question is, uh, if you live basically west of the Mississippi River, realize most of you listening are listening up and down the Mississippi River from Manitoba all the way to Louisiana, Iowa, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota. But if you live west of the Mississippi, most states have a big game hunting draw system where you receive your elk and deer permits and your antelope hunting permits on a drawing. It's a lottery. And it's a lottery because there are far too many people who wanna go hunting compared to the sustainability of the resource to enable them to go hunting. And as the Western states are increasingly populated and with the shift from COVID, we have seen a huge migration. In fact, one of the largest migrations really in American history, certainly since the Dust Bowl and World War II from California, from Washington, and Oregon, in particular, into the Rocky Mountain states, the inner mountain states of Utah, Montana, Idaho, Nevada, Colorado, and and this is changing the, the demographics quickly, but it's also changing the number of people who want to go hunting in those states quickly. Idaho I think is the Boise's the fastest growing city uh, in America per capita. Uh, So this summer was a wake-up call across the Western states when landowners who put in for their permits and expected to to get an elk tag, to shoot a bull elk or an antelope tag or a mule deer tag, uh, they didn't get them. And they didn't get them because the odds of getting a permit, a tag as they're called, declined significantly across many Western states. The results of the drought, the result of past fires, in some cases a result of big increases in the wolf population, and the mountain lion population, which have caused numbers of big game animals to, to decline substantially. Around Yellowstone Park, a prime example, once one of the finest elk hunting areas in all the continent. Now there are relatively few elk because of the number of wolves. So you put all this together. And it means there's a lot less opportunity and a lot of very disappointed hunters who did not get permits this year. And that's only going to get worse as the population increases because your odds are going to decline. And against this, you have all these states trying to recruit more hunters because they're worried about the loss of revenue and political clout from from people who hunt. The rhetorical question is, I guess, uh, how are we gonna deal with this? You have bureaucrats and agencies and conservation groups on one hand saying we are facing a loop, not today, some point in the future, we're facing a crisis because we're not gonna have enough hunters because people are aging out. On the other hand, you have too many hunters today for the resource in most of the states west of the Mississippi River, that are big game hunting-centric states. And when it comes to pheasant, there are very few pheasants left. Agricultural practices and predators have pretty much taken care of the pheasant population across much of their historic range. South Dakota, where pheasants are managed pretty intensively, they still have a lot of pheasants, and all the South Dakota big pheasant farms, you read about all the places to go hunting, they're surviving because they're releasing birds. They're releasing hundreds of thousands of pheasants. There's no way the wild population could take the pressure that is being brought upon it with a limited amount of habitat. There is nowhere you look west of the Mississippi River where there is an overabundance of game, whether it be birds or big game, that is looking for a lot more hunters. There aren't places to go that have quality habitat. The game is not there. And yet the number of people attempting to hunt in the western part of the United States is going up every year and is now going up dramatically as a result of this migration because of COVID. East of the Mississippi River, we have a whole different set of circumstances. We actually have too many deer. However, Illinois, a great example. You're still limited in what you can do. It's not as though we could take another 50,000 deer hunters in the state of Illinois. They would wipe it out. There wouldn't be places for them to go. And the population would would plummet. There isn't a deer hunter listening in Illinois, I'm sure, who is looking for another person to go hunting in the woods during deer season or to put up a tree stand near them. And yet the Department of Natural Resources in Illinois or Wisconsin or across the Midwest, they too are clamoring for R3, recruit, retain, and reactivate. And they're clamoring for the millions of dollars that the federal government, through Pittman-Robertson funds, is going to make available to do exactly that. Yet the sportsmen and women of the Midwest are not clamoring for more people to have more duck blinds, more deer stands, Pheasant hunting has virtually been eliminated. Bobwhite quail, which was once the most prolific game bird in the state of Illinois, is, is all but gone. We used to shoot over 2 million bobwhite quail a year in Illinois. Now we don't even shoot 200,000, so it's a tenth of what it was. We used to shoot over a million ringneck pheasants. Same thing, we're down to, to very few. So the rhetorical question is, where are all these new people supposed to go? And you could go on across the United States, onto the East Coast, the situation is the same. So I bring this up today and we will continue to bring it up because the question really is how well thought out is this national effort, which conservation groups and the states have all bought into at both feet, reread press releases, we're raising money to help R3. Uh, it's just the question, How well thought out was this whole thing? Or is this whole effort? Or is it an effort to try to grab money at the expense of more needed areas of work? I'm not trying to say we don't need in the future more people to go hunting and fishing in America. The demographics would indicate that that is is absolutely necessary what I'm really asking today, and we'll continue to ask in the future as we bring people on the show to talk about it, is how do you square that with the fact we have too many people today hunting in America for the amount of the resource that we have? So if at some point in the future, we think we're not going to have enough. That's one thing. But if you have too many today, there isn't a duck hunter anywhere is looking for more people to go duck hunting. The only resource that seems to be able to adapt to increased hunting desire is dove hunting. And that is simply a function of number of birds. So with the population of birds that we have now, the question is, how can we have more? We'll talk about this in the future. It's It's one of the central issues facing all of us who care about the future of the outdoors. I'll be back in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice in Chicago and America. 720 WGN and first a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet
0: dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space in the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the big fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show, Charlie Potter.
1: Your host here on WGN Radio and I hope wherever you may be spending this Sunday Morning in August, that you're enjoying yourself and we'll have a great week in the great outdoors. I want to talk just for a little bit in the time we have left about a major headline that broke this week, and and it certainly is something that we talk about in the oceans a lot. But the title from Chicago Crane's Business was Swimming in Plastic Great Lakes Microplastics Pollution is showing up in fish, birds, and yes, your beer glass. I've never been, and, and I think all of you who've listened to the show for a long time, though, I am not a doomsayer by any means. I always look to try to find the bright side of every issue. Yes, we ask questions about things, uh, but by and large, we always are trying to find out how we can how we can do things better. This plastic story is. It's frankly pretty shocking and those of us who live in the outdoor industry have known about it for a while. I've been talking for years about the huge plastic banks in the ocean in the Pacifics and one of the, a great friend of mine sails every year in the Newport to Newport California to, to uh, Honolulu Alaska race. It's the biggest one of the biggest ocean races there are for sailors and a couple of years ago a ship was sunk when it hit this plastic blob in the ocean. And in the, and the that plastic blob now is several hundred square miles. You have to sail around it. And this ship got in it, and it broke the keel. Nobody was killed that I'm aware of. But it certainly raised the profile of the amount of plastics in the world's oceans as sadly as we, as, as we talk about it, just simply a dumping ground. We don't think of the Great Lakes in that way. We think of the Great Lakes as so much cleaner than they used to be. As a kid, I remember the alewives washing up in Chicago on the beaches and they stunk and nobody, nobody would even think about going in the beaches in the 1960s and early 70s and around Chicago because the, the water quality was so terrible and the alewives were dead everywhere. That's not true anymore. The lake, we perceive that the lake has been cleaned up magnificently. That's a lot because of zebra mussels and the invasive species that have come in. The water's clear. And yes, I think we should say our water quality is better, but we're finding out that maybe these microorganisms of microorganisms of plastic that break down these microfibers are going to live with us for centuries. And the cumulative impact is the Great Lakes could be in real trouble and Lake Michigan, surprisingly, is the dirtiest plastic contaminated of all of the great lakes so this is a story we're gonna have to talk about more uh looking for solutions not belaboring the point because belaboring something without looking for solutions is really not very productive but lake michigan has more plastic debris than any of the other great lakes uh it's found in all kinds of fibers and fragments uh that exist there was a study of uh 12 brands of beer that are brewed in the great lakes primarily pilsners and they're brewed with water that nine municipalities drew from the great lakes they tested the waters of holland michigan and Alf- alpena michigan chicago and glenview duluth minnesota and clayton and buffalo new york as well as water from cleveland and the rochester vicinity 81% of the beers of the water sampled had plastic fibers and fragments in them. Unbelievable. So you're thinking you're, bringing, you're drinking a local brewery, and that's terrific, and it comes from the Great Lakes, and you're supporting the local economy, and you want to do this. And almost all the beer had a fragment of plastic in it. Unbelievable. We don't even think about it because it's invisible. It's microscopic, but it's not going away. And one of the things we do know, another consequence of COVID, we're all aware of the amount of plastic that's being used. Just think about plastic gloves. Millions and millions and millions of plastic gloves are being thrown away now by people who never use them. Plastic masks are are all over the place. You You can't walk around Chicago without seeing masks on the ground. They're all made of plastic and and take out food, comes in plastic containers. So a lot of scientists are saying what COVID has done is it's created an absolute perfect storm of increasing the plastic loads in the Great Lakes. And this is only in the past 18 months. These haven't had a chance to break down and become these tiny micro uh, fibers that over decades, exist in the great lakes so we do have a problem we're polluting the great lakes you can see the big plastic bags and you can see the gloves and you can see all the plastic floating around but you can't see these microfibers which is the end result i hope you've enjoyed the show i'll be back next sunday morning with much more on the great outdoors as we work our way through august and i promise you next week i'll have a good book or two to talk about as we head for that shade tree in the middle of August. Thanks for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720, WGN.